You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 10, episode two. Curiosity is a core tenet of the creative life. It leads to new discoveries and fills the heart of the artist with a growing sense of wonder. Curiosity can reveal a sense of calling and lead us to deeper understanding about ourselves and about the world we live in. But sometimes a fear of the unknown clashes with our curiosity and suppresses our tendency to question and seek out new perspectives. Perhaps for some, our upbringing or childhood experiences taught us that it was dangerous to be curious. I mean, didn't curiosity kill the cat? right? But what if it was more dangerous in the long run to choose not to ask the hard questions or to play it safe and choose not to follow our curiosities? My guest today is author Lori Ferguson Wilbert. In our conversation, we discuss the importance of asking the hard questions and the necessity of cultivating a curious heart in both the creative space and in the spiritual. From the back cover of her book, A Curious Faith, she says, God created us to be curious. We innately wonder about the world, one another, ourselves, and our creator. But fear of the unknown, cultural taboos, technology, or even church leaders can smother our curiosity. In today's episode, Lori shares her experiences on why embracing curiosity rather than certainty is a hallmark of authentic faith. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with Lori on the six stages of creativity. See the show notes of this episode or visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics to gain access. This is my interview with author Lori Ferguson Wilbert. Lori, thank you so much for joining me on the Makers and Mystics podcast today. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Stephen. I'm glad to be here. You know, I've been spending some time with your book, A Curious Faith, the questions God asks, we ask, and we wish someone would ask us. And I love the narrative that you weave throughout this, pulling a lot from your own personal journey your journey of faith, also journey through creativity and relationships. And tell me what motivated you to write this book. I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I think just a personal narrative where I just didn't have a lot of environments in my life that encouraged curiosity, especially around faith. Mm -hmm. I think also watching so many of my peers leave the church, leave Christianity, mostly because their their questions were not welcome. And that really disheartened me because in our home, we really encourage questions and we really, we make space for them and we, we ask them ourselves. And so I really, when I began to look at scripture and, and realize, oh, wow, there are a lot of questions asked in scripture and not always given answers. And 
think that kind of fueled me to want to, it got me curious, I guess, about what that says about our faith and what that could mean for our faith. And I'm not the first one who's obviously thought through these things, generations of Christians and mystics and theologians have wrestled with questions, but that's right. I, I just don't see it in current evangelical in the church very much right now. And I think that is a very concerning reality, you know, and for us here on Makers and Mystics, a lot of the motivation behind what we do is drawing those connections between art and faith. And this is one of the areas that seems to hold one of the largest chasms between art and faith is that the religious space as, or, or the way that people would view the religious space is, you know, an adherence to these answers that we are prescribing to you. Whereas the artist is all about the ambiguous, the mystery, you know, the space between things. And I'd be curious to know in your own life, where do those tensions play out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the willingness to ask questions, the willingness to play with that space means that we have to, well, first we have to have courage to step into the unknown. We have to be willing to go into maybe some dark places uh, I love, I talk about Adrian Rich's poem, Diving Into the Wreck, in the book, which is just a beautiful poem, and I think every creator should read it. Uh, she says, the words are purposes, the words are maps. I love that. And I think that really you could say the art is a map, in a sense. We're, we're kind of finding our way to what we do not know. And mm-hmm. really, when I, when I line that up against faith... What I think is that is faith. We live in a world where we try to control our lives from conception on, before conception on, we are trying to control our lives and because we're human and we're afraid and we want security. Uh, it's not a sin to want to, to want those things, but faith is, is saying, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I think practicing curiosity about that instead of just saying that's bad or that's wrong or that's dangerous. What if you discover something miraculous in that space? Yes. Something beautiful. Something that someone's, yeah, what if you, diving into the wreck, what if you discover a treasure (laughs) in that space? Yes. That's so good, you know, because I think when we encounter the unknown, we either respond with fear and apprehension or we respond with that sense of curiosity that leads us to question and make new discoveries. And you mentioned courage, and I know that courage is a vital part of curiosity. It takes courage to be curious. And I'd be interested to know for you, what gave you the courage to begin asking the hard questions? I think some of it was suffering. I mean, just like I just talked about control, we as humans, we kind of, we want to control our lives because we don't want to suffer. And yet it often is through suffering that we kind of come to the end of ourselves and we realize like, I I really, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's in here if I step in. And, um, and so there had been a period of suffering in my life where I just realized the answers that I had about my life, about my vocation, about God, about the church, about any of those things, none of those answers would quell the churning storm in my heart and mind. Nothing. Like, cognitively, I could know all the answers, 
but nothing was calming or giving me answers that I felt were satisfactory. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about courage, what I mean is, you know, courage is doing something with fear. Sometimes we think of courage as like, oh, I'm going to stuff down my fear and do it anyway. No, courage is saying, I acknowledging I have that fear and stepping toward it anyway. And that for me was, I would say, like a watershed moment where I realized I'm terrified. I don't know. It's not even actually for me. It wasn't even, it wasn't even the answers that I might find about my vocation, about God, about the church that scared me. It was what was on the other side that was so scary to me. The unknown of what happens when I come through mm-hmm. these questions. And so receiving the gift of courage and stepping into those questions without knowing if the bottom was going to fall out underneath me. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have said beforehand, I would have said, of course the bottom's not going to fall out. You know, Jesus is there and, and you're going <laughs> to land on him. But the more that I, the more that I think about it, I'm like, no, sometimes the bottom does fall out. Like sometimes you, you step off that cliff and there isn't something catching you. Sometimes you do fall. And sometimes there's hard things at the bottom that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't still good and sufficient. And then we can't find something beautiful in that space. I know in my own faith journey, even through conversations with other people on a similar faith journey, we want things to resolve. But often Jesus, in my experience, tends to hang out in the murky middle where there is no resolve. And in a sense, perhaps asks us to get comfortable there for a time, you know, not to stay stuck. But to move through, you know, we always want to move around, but many times it seems that God chooses to move through, at least in my experience. Yeah, I think Jesus asked something like 300 questions in the New Testament and didn't answer most of them. (laughs) And I think that is because, and this is going to give away the ending to the book, but hopefully if you're a Christian, you know the ending of this. You know the answer is Jesus. Um, it's not the Sunday school answer. And um, and he's he's better than we could imagine and, and hope. But yeah, the answer isn't found in getting what we want. Um, it's not found in the fulfillment of our promise, a promise that was made to us. That's not the answer. It's not the no. It's not knowing why. It's not knowing when those things. We think those things are the answers. When I know those things, then I will. Then my spirit will be at rest. And I think we know that that's not. <laughs> I think we can find rest actually in the unknowing. I do believe that. Absolutely. It's. It reminds me suddenly. This. I'm wearing my famous Wizard of Oz shirt here, so we can bring this in. But because uh, that's one of my favorite fairy tales. But when the house is spinning around and around in the cyclone, that's when Dorothy falls asleep right in the eye of the storm. It's like all of this is going on around her. For some reason, that picture came to mind as you were saying that. Love that. I want to go here for a minute because you begin your book talking about a quote from one of my favorite poets and writers, Mine too. Yes, you know, and we did an artist profile on Rilke a while back. If you haven't heard that, you can go listen to my take on on some of his life. But you start with a quote from Rainer Maria Rilke, and I want to just read the quote and get you to riff on it a bit. But he says, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart 
and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Oh, come on, Rilke. <laughs> I mean, I, I hesitate to say it's the best because there's so much goodness from Rilke, but it really is. I, I still get choked up when I hear that, or when I read that, because I just think that that can be a life-changing truth if we'll, if we'll mm -hmm. submit ourselves to it. Yes, live the questions. How would you say that plays out in your life or how did that play out in your life through the journey that you tell in your book, A Curious Faith? I mean, the way that it played out then, I think is similar still to the way it plays out now. Um, the journey that I outline kind of in A Curious Faith is sort of my, um, I called it a faith crisis. It's called deconstruction process now or um, a renovation. Brian Zond calls it a renovation process. And so you can call it whatever you want. Basically, <laughs> what I realized is that none of the answers were sufficient. And what I knew with my head didn't jive with my heart and or my life. And so a willingness to live the questions for me, instead of living the answers, which Rilke talks about, like I said, is faith. That is faith. So I often tell people, the Lord saved me at a point in time, but the Lord was drawing me. Like I was practicing faith a year before that time by being willing to ask the questions, by being willing to to step into a place where I could say, I think I know with my head that you're good, but it does you don't feel good. And so I'm not sure that I actually believe that you're good. Knowing that God can handle those questions is immensely safe. Mm -hmm. For me, I felt like before I knew to live the questions, my faith felt very constrictive. It felt very limited. It felt very small. And the space in which I could move around and create and flourish felt very small. Learning to live the questions instead of living the answers meant that those boundaries were kind of pressed wide open. And... Because I know that God is omniscient and omnipresent, I can trust that He can handle whatever questions I have, which just makes the pasture that I can run in so much bigger. And that is true even today. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel such grace with God to ask any question that I want to. Yes. And to wrestle, just to be honest with you, to wrestle for a really long time period we're talking years with some questions. I don't feel any rush at all to come to an answer on things that might seem settled in a lot of people's minds. That's beautiful. And, you know, there's such a patience in what you're saying. And I think that's countercultural to what, you know, how we are taught to function. Many times we, we want the immediate, we want the now, but there's a patience that, and an endurance and a perseverance all these things that the mystics talked about, all these things that yeah. we know to have immense spiritual value to them. And I think one thing, at least in my own experience, that can help cultivating that space of patience and living the questions 
is receiving the gift of each moment, even the gift within suffering or receiving the gift within the difficult things. And you said in chapter 17 of your book, which I want to talk from a little bit as well, but you said that goodness doesn't mean without difficulty. You know, when you were talking about God and your own creative process. And uh, let's hang out there for a minute. Talk to me about goodness and difficulty. There again are two polarities, but somehow we find reconciliation with them here. I mean, I think we find reconciliation with them in in so many different parts of our lives. We find it in the gym when we're lifting something heavy, knowing this is hard. And uh, yesterday I did um, barbell lifting for the first time. I I usually do the little weights. And and so lifting 90 pounds with a barbell was, it didn't hurt, but it wasn't easy. Yes. And yet I know that there's like something good in that, right? Yes. Um, And so I think we see it in things like getting a massage. Perhaps it might be painful. Uh, but you know it's doing something good. We see it in chiropractic work. You know, there's so many things, acupuncture, there's so many things that happen with our bodies in particular where we can see that something that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, maybe a little bit painful, is also producing something good. But we, when it comes to our minds, when it comes to our hearts, we don't want to have those, we don't want to walk in those same tensions. We want there to be perfect resolution in our minds and perfect resolution in our hearts. It really helps me to look at my body, um, to look at the way my body has both carried me and failed me, and to look at the way that my body, I uh, am at peace with my body or at war with my body. Um, It helps Mm. me to think about those tensions um, because the same thing needs to happen with my heart. The same thing needs to happen with my mind, my spirit, my soul, because that's how we grow. You said that you've come to a place where you can now ask God anything and feel comfortable within the question. I'd love to hear more about how you arrived at the place where you felt, I can ask God anything, and this is good. Yeah. In the book, I I take Job, I think 38 and 39, and I just, one whole chapter is just Job 38 and 39, which is a brilliant piece of poetry and everyone should read it. Every artist I think should read it, but it's also just such a humbling piece of scripture. Where were you when I created? Mm. When I hung the the moon, where were you when I put the stars in the sky? He goes through the gestation of mammals and the intricacies of murmurations and all those things. Like, I need a God who is so much bigger, I can't understand him. Like, I cannot fathom, I really cannot fathom his bigness. Um, I don't know if you've been watching the photos that have come out from the James Webb telescope but every time i look at them i just think i can't it's otherworldly almost you know it's too it's too much for my mind to comprehend and that in that space right there in the acknowledgement that it's too much for my mind to comprehend that's where i find my safety that's where i find my security because admitting that and sitting with that 
says, I don't need to understand mm -hmm. all the things. I don't need to, to have an answer for this like theological point that is dividing the church right now or this area that is um, so challenging even my own life. Uh, I don't need to have an answer for those things because God is God over all of the universe. And mm -hmm. so I know that that might be a very like impractical answer, but I think I find it really helpful in those moments when I'm struggling to ask the question, to sit with some things that are too much for me to understand, like to watch a video of a murmuration, a startling murmuration, which just never mm -hmm. fails to just <laughs> astound yes. me or to look at yes. photos from the, the telescope or to, I mean, have you ever like found, I don't know, maybe this is a little morbid, but like found a dead butterfly and like really looked at their, their wings and and like just i mean the microscopic intricacy of their wings yes absolutely. things like that they make me feel so safe to answer any question or to ask any question that i need to ask you know i think especially during this time when so many of us are asking so many questions and so many of us are asking really difficult questions. I think curiosity is all the more important yeah. during a, a time like that. And I love what you were saying about, it seems that curiosity for you almost creates a safe space in your life. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know more about some of your practices of curiosity, some of the analyzing of the butterfly wings, if you'd share some of that with us. Yeah, so this isn't a practice, but it, it could be a practice that someone does to uh, to think through these practices. What does it look like to walk into a dark room and not turn a light on right away, but to let your eyes grow accustomed to the dark, to trust what you know about the furniture placement, to trust what you know about the security of your house or whatever, to walk into that room and spend some time in a dark room, letting your eyes go, uh, become adjusted to, so, so you're able to see in the dark. And I think practices like getting out into nature, turning off our social media and phones, not looking at what everyone else is producing, sitting in silence and solitude for a period of time, doing things that feel at first a little uncomfortable and not rushing right to making them not just comfortable, but functional, a space that we can produce something in. I mean, you're not going to produce a lot in a dark room, right? Where your eyes are just getting adjusted to the dark. So what happens in that space then? What can happen in that space? Well, I think something beautiful can happen in that space. We hear something we might not have heard before. We think about something we have a thought we haven't had before. And so instead of putting ourselves into environments where we're just trying to produce something or get somewhere or compete with someone or get inspiration from somewhere, like in order that we pr can produce, mm -hmm. sitting with that space a little bit longer. And this is hard. Yes. It's hard. This is a discipline. It's yes. a spiritual discipline. And it's something we, I think, can grow in, but it doesn't come naturally to us. In the same way, it doesn't feel natural to like walk into your dark house at night and not turn a light on. <laughs> yes. What you said makes me think of several things that listeners will be familiar with hearing me say 
that creativity is more of a process than a product. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that uh, maybe it was John Cleese. I quote John Cleese a <laughs> lot. It. You know, I love John Cleese. But he talked about the importance of not settling for the first idea that comes to mind when you're in that creative process, but to let it gestate, to let it brood, to, to let it just hang out in the middle space before you make a creative decision. And I think that that's a place where we can cultivate that curiosity like you're talking about what you know it's almost a practice of or a discipline of attentiveness mm-hmm. you know even yeah. what you're saying with walking into the dark room i think that's beautiful yeah i think that our our world especially for people who are creative i'm thinking of of artists writers musicians um poets our world is just it, it's not set up for those of us with those sort of gifts uh, to flourish, to make our living from those gifts because um, because there is sort of a demand on us to produce an idea of the end result before you start the be- at the beginning, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to mm-hmm. put together proposals. We have to um, know where we're going to publish. We have to do all those things. We have to, you know, sign our names on the dotted lines before we've actually really gotten alone and just completely created the art. Mm-hmm. I just think that has really done a disservice to us as artists. Mm-hmm. I do believe that the best art is created in the dark. It's created in hiddenness. Because all of our art sort of becomes performance art in a sense when we have to like sort of jump through the hoops that we have committed to jump through in order to get our book published or our album made or whatever, you know, commission painted. Wow. The best art is made in the dark. I'm positive that I did not. I'm positive <laughs> that someone else has said something similar. So don't do not quote me on that. Yeah, I, I think I, you probably heard me say that. I'm just going to take credit for yeah. that one there. Go for it. It's all yours. <laughs> no. Well, you know, one thing that I want to bring into this conversation on curiosity is familiarity. Hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about this even in preparation for our conversation. And, you know, I think the familiar gets a bad rap. I don't think that familiarity is the enemy of curiosity. And in fact, I think that the familiar can be a reservoir of wonder. I think that the real enemy of curiosity is the lack of attentiveness and the malaise that we fall into when we think that we have explored something to its end, when in fact we have not. Yeah. And uh, I really don't even know if there's a question in there, but maybe if you want to riff off of that. I just think that the familiar doesn't have to be a deterrent to experiencing creative curiosity. I had a professor in college, an art professor, who he, one of his assignments for us, he was a painting, we, we it was a painting class, and one of his assignments for the semester was we could only work with two colors, mm. plus white and black, but we could only choose two colors They had to be complementary colors for every single piece we made. It had to be within those two colors. And we all were like, what? You know, we just couldn't imagine that that was going to be like a very fun semester. It was one of the best semesters of of college for me. Um, I learned so much about working within limitations, working within 
good boundary lines, um, being creative with, like there's so much you can do with two colors. It's amazing what you can do with two colors. And I, I just think that image has stuck with me now for 20 years. And I, I think about that in application with all of the art that I do or create or, or work on is just the goodness of limitations, the goodness of, again, this is like, in order for me to be content with who I am and what I'm doing, it's so much better and easier to know that God is so much bigger and better and yes. than I can even imagine. It gives me so much space to play in. And even within that space, it can help me to trust that a limitation that I'm going to experience for a time doesn't mean that I'm experiencing a limitation forever. It's just for a time. And there's goodness in there. Yes, yes. You know, we began our conversation primarily talking about curiosity in the deconstruction process, pulling from your own story, talking about curiosity as it relates to the faith journey. But then, of course, we naturally morphed into curiosity in the creative space. And I'm just thinking that the bridge between both of these, the faith experience and the creative experience, is approaching life with curiosity. And, you know, anytime that we feel like we've received all that there is to know, or perhaps that all of the answers have been provided and there's nowhere else for us to go, there's nothing else for us to explore or to contribute, that's really when we begin to atrophy. That's really when we begin to die. And so I think that for anyone experiencing a deconstruction process or anyone in the throes of a creative slump, these practices of curiosity really do show a pathway through the forest that maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah. I really love, speaking of Rilke, I really love in his ninth el elegy, um, I read this in college and it has just stuck with me since then. Um, he says, perhaps we are here just to say, and then he says, here is the say, here is the sayable, here is its homeland. Like we are here to say to simple things like trees and rocks and clouds that they are trees and rocks and clouds. That's our whole purpose in the world is to like sort of ground it and make it, he says, sayable, but I would even say tangible to make it, to be makers around, to take mud and make it into a, a pot, to take, you know, letters and put them, make them into a poem. Like those, that's what we're here to do. We're here to cultivate. And yes, but yeah, so it's, it's just, a, it's necessary for us to trust that that can happen with things that seem simple, like trees and rocks and clouds. Yes. Well, Lori, thank you, first of all, for writing this book and for giving the rest of us permission to begin asking questions that maybe we didn't know we could ask, mm -hmm. you know? And thank you for continuing in curiosity. And thank you for doing the difficult work of persevering and sitting in the place of unresolve because uh, your voice in that becomes a light for other people not to give up. And so I'm really thankful for your work and I'm really grateful for having you on Makers and Mystics today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach with music provided by Sean Williams. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please consider supporting the production of the podcast by joining our creative collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. For as little as $10 per month, you can help me continue to cultivate these conversations on art, faith, and culture. Patrons of the podcast gain access to exclusive content, our bi-monthly book clubs, and private Facebook group where we journey together through the topics of the show. And as always, we'll see you again next week. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art.